If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. August 15th represents uh, one year since the Taliban regained, seized power in Afghanistan amid the uh, American withdrawal. And it was a very chaotic time, I think, as we all recall. A lot of questions about whether Canada was doing enough uh, to get people to safety. There were a lot of Afghans who were in a very grave danger, uh, that they were going to be targeted for retribution by the Taliban uh, for having previously helped or worked with Canadian forces in Afghanistan. And certainly I think there was a lot of very fair criticism that, you know, the government was slow to react and that, that we didn't do as much as we could have. I think the other criticism for Canada and other Western nations is how soon we just moved on or how quickly we just moved on. And maybe that falls to all of us. It's something we talked a lot about at the time. It was a very big issue. Certainly, you might recall that coincided with the start of the federal election campaign. Uh, But we all collectively maybe seem to have moved on. And what have been the consequences of that? Have we turned our back on? Have we uh, abandoned Afghanistan and left behind those uh, who are in, in some serious peril? Well, joining us to talk about uh, the situation one year later and, and that question of uh, whether we've uh, irresponsibly uh, turned our back on people in Afghanistan. Very pleased to welcome the program here this afternoon. Lauren Oates is executive director of the group Canadian Women for Women in Afghanistan. Laura, thank you so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, from your perspective, as someone who obviously follows all of this very closely, works with uh, people and, and women in particular in Afghanistan, uh, is it fair to say that we've moved on, we've we've forgotten, we've we've abandoned them? Yeah, it really looks like that. Uh, I mean, certainly there's a community of people in Canada who remain very, very concerned uh, of the issue because they have connections to Afghans, they worked with Afghans either through military or uh, in a civilian role as, as aid workers, there's, there's all of these connections that were built over the past 20 years when Canada had an engagement with Afghanistan. Um, but it does definitely feel like the public at large and certainly the politicians have moved on and don't really want to deal with this and don't have any answers and that they've kind of just settled into a passive acceptance of the situation as if, you know, nothing can be done. It's distasteful, this this regime that's in power, we won't recognize it, but neither will we try to actively oppose it or um, really concretely help people who have been left behind. Um, And I find that just galling because this is, in, in the words of Human Rights Watch, you know, the worst human rights crisis in the world today. And we're effectively doing very little. So how are things different or worse today in Afghanistan than they were a year ago in, in that chaotic period of August 2021? Uh, they are monumentally worse. Um, you know, firstly, on the front of just the economic situation in the country, as, as always happens in war, the first people to flee are the very people you need to run a country, the educated classes, the professionals. And, um, you know, I was reading a couple of days ago about 
um, people can't get treatment in, in hospitals in Afghanistan because there's, you know, there's few doctors left, especially women with the Taliban imposing the rule that women have to be treated by women medical personnel. But those people have, have all fled. And so that's literally starting to lead to situations of you know, people dying for not being able to access medical care. So, you know, you, you have the, the, the kind of breakdown of society as, as so many people left and the economy in free fall and just getting worse day by day and that leading to a food crisis. Um, there also happened to be a drought this year on top of all of this. And, um, and so families really struggling to, to feed themselves. And, and despite this happening, what the Taliban as the government now has decided to focus on is, you know, coming up with different rules and edicts that reflect their ideological vision for the country rather than dealing with the the crisis at hand and and trying to help people stay alive they're busying themselves with you know coming up with rules i just read one five minutes ago about um uh, restricting women's access to parks (laughs) and you know before that it was not allowing women to travel more than 40 miles without unless they're accompanied by a male chaperone and 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 just you know all these rules as if they have no idea what's actually going on in the country so there's these twin crises of the humanitarian economic situation and then the human rights crisis as well and they're very very interlinked and they are just getting worse day by day now there are those of course who we weren't able to evacuate in august of last year and for some that has meant basically a, a year of hiding in, in safe houses in Afghanistan. There were those who, um, you know, are in some state of limbo in, in Pakistan. So what can we say at this point about those who, who are, are in that position? Yeah, I know this uh, problem very well because my own colleagues are in this situation. The majority of, of my colleagues who had worked on Canadian government-funded projects in Afghanistan promoting women's rights and girls' education have been left behind. And so... I'm I'm intimately familiar with the challenges that they're facing. Most of them are trapped in Afghanistan where they're at very, very high risk of retaliation from the Taliban for the work that they they did. Uh, And others who have managed to get to Pakistan um, continue to live in in, in fear there, not as much as in Afghanistan, but they they feel like they're not at a safe enough distance. Um, But they also can't work. They can't enroll their children in school. Um, when their visas run out, they're not even allowed to get credit for their phones. So they're, they're kind of cut off from communication and, you know, running out of money as they wait for an answer. So there's thousands of people in this situation. And uh, in that chaos of August last year, um, you know, we, we evacuated some. Um, there wasn't a real um, very consistent application of the criteria for the program. So I think there were people who slipped in that the, the program to uh, evacuate Afghans who had worked for Canada um, didn't quite intend to support. And then others who, who were left behind, the, the spots were taken from them. And that's why we've been advocating for an extension of that program and addition of, of more spots so that the people we did leave behind will still have a chance to, to come down the road. Right. So on this file specifically, then, there are concrete steps the government can still take that, that could make a meaningful difference at this point. Absolutely. And, you know, this is really our whole policy towards Afghanistan. I mean, Canada is not doing development in Afghanistan. It doesn't want to work with the government in power there, um, and, which is you know understandable, but there's there's still ways to, to work around the government and try to support people. But um, it, 
Afghanistan is no longer a priority in terms of our foreign policy on that front and in development programming. And so really what we are doing for Afghanistan is this evacuation and resettlement program. So that constitutes, you know, essentially Canada's policy towards Afghanistan. So we have to get it right. We have to do it well. And, and we haven't quite got there yet. And I do recognize that the special immigration measures that were introduced for Afghanistan, that was a new program. It's only just a year old. It was announced last July. And new programs can be messy. They can take some time to sort of settle into protocols and processes and become efficient. Uh, so don't close the program down after only a year. Make sure that it works as it was intended, that it helps the people it was intended to help, and let it go at least another year and get more people to safety. And these are not people that, um, you know, are it's just nice if we help them, it's, it's charitable. These are people that we have some responsibility towards because of the reason that they're at risk which is their connection to Canada and the work they did on behalf of the Canadian government. And that is different from people at risk for other reasons. Of course, I, I recognize that basically every Afghan is at some kind of risk living in Afghanistan today under the Taliban regime, and everyone is justified in wanting to leave the country. So we have to make very hard choices about how, how to select who we help. And to me, it's obvious that the first people we should help are those who are in danger because of their connection to us and the work they did on, on our behalf. That just seems self-evident to me. Yeah, and I think you alluded to, you know, part of the reason why not just Canada and other countries have sort of thrown up their hands, you know, the idea that, okay, well, the Taliban's in power, that's not going to change. They're objectively terrible. We don't want to be dealing with them or legitimizing them. So it just feels like, Okay, well, we're, we're stuck in this situation where they're in charge. That's not going to change. We don't want to deal with them. That's not going to change. So, so that's that. But it, it shouldn't be or it doesn't have to be, right? It doesn't have to be. And nothing shows us better than our collective reaction to the situation in Ukraine, which is very, very similar. So, you know, in both cases, you have countries where you have a democratically elected government in power that, you know, is then attacked by fascist forces mm -hmm. and that's against the will of of the people and they try to use violence to overthrow the government. Um, you know, the, the, that's what's un underway now in Ukraine. That's what happened in Afghanistan. These are both fundamentally fights about freedom and democracy and human rights and these values that we like to claim are, you know, Western values or, or the basis of our own societies. And somehow we could make that link with Ukraine and, and, and see this, obviously, but we haven't been able to do it with Afghanistan as, as much. And I'm you know, not arguing that people need to swap one cause for another, that they right. should choose Afghanistan to throw their heart into, to, to feel solidarity towards rather than in Ukraine, but rather to see this as the same fight, that, that these two things are really linked and we all have enough room in our hearts to care about both. Um, and and I, I think we see that, you know, from from the reaction of our governments, which has been a lot more forceful and bold in responding to Ukraine, um, but also to some extent just among among the public. Um, I almost felt like internationalism was dead in a way until the Ukraine invasion happened and showed that our hearts still beat for these things. You know, we still care about these values. We're still capable of coming you know uniting around them collectively and and it's you know we're not so bashful anymore about using words like freedom and so on so uh, the question is just why why did this happen for ukraine only and not for afghanistan too so if the status quo continues to prevail 
what what's your fear that you know august of next year is going to look like in afghanistan how, how much worse can things get um it's hard to imagine that it will get worse but it will it will just because it looks so bad now it's you know to look a few steps ahead and, and see where things are going um is a is a hard thing to accept but it, it will get worse before it gets better and convinced of this i'm convinced the taliban are in power for the foreseeable future um, not least of which is because of the international community's acceptance of, of the situation. I think that the Taliban were actually emboldened by the respect they were shown by the United States and its allied countries, the countries that were part of NATO that were once fighting the Taliban, um, just being very acquiescent, um, legitimating them through the so-called peace process uh, prior to the, the takeover, and giving them the confidence to think, hey, actually, you know, we, we, we can have power here. We're basically being handed that power. So we, we have a responsibility here. And, and I think um, as long as that's the you know, unofficial policy and response towards the Taliban, they will stay in power for some time. But on the other hand, they are demonstrating that they're very incapable of governing effectively. Um, you know, you have people now running government ministries and departments who are literally illiterate. Uh, so they have no idea what they're doing. They don't know anything about fiscal policy. Um, they just passed their first budget a couple of months ago. It was a total disaster. So it, I think a collapse is coming, um, that they will sort of implode on themselves. But it won't happen as fast as we might like it, and there'll be a lot of suffering in the meantime um, before they you know, do, do fall over the edge of governing. We'll leave it uh, on that note. Uh, Lauren, much more uh, Canadian Women for Women in Afghanistan at CW4, the number four, CW4W, afghan.ca. Really appreciate the insight. Thank you so much for joining us here this afternoon.